Man, it's a joy to be here. I love small places. I grew up in one. My dad was a pastor of a small uh, church in a small village in New Hampshire, and so it's my first time in Berkeley Springs, but it's a joy to be here, and, and uh, yeah, I wish uh, Sharon was with me. Uh, sometimes she gets to travel with me, but we, we put 1,900 miles on the car last week, so she didn't want to travel this week. Uh, um, but I want to talk to you about Jesus. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah, and the theme of this morning, the title is uh, Comfort for the Called. So the whole idea that if you're called to follow Jesus, uh, we'll look at this, but there's great comfort for us in the actual struggle to follow Jesus. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll uh, look at the text. Lord Jesus, as we uh, spend time in your word this morning, I pray that you would help us uh, in our faith. Father, if we're not believers, I pray that things said from the scripture would make sense and draw um, people to follow you. And Father, for those who have committed to following you, I pray, Lord, this would strengthen them. And as they the, uh, the text shows, Lord, in our weakness, may we find great comfort in your strength. We pray this for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. So, you know, I, I, I came to Jesus as a little guy. And um, as we think about how God comes to people, sometimes he comes to people in their adulthood. My dad was a World War II vet. He came to Christ at 24, uh, back after being in England during World War II. Um, People come to Jesus at different times, or I should say Jesus comes to them at different times. But following Jesus is both good and hard. And even though the Bible says you only have to have the seed, uh, the, the, the faith of a mustard seed, sometimes that mustard seed weighs like 10 tons. Like, it's just hard sometimes. Because you're fighting against your own, the Bible says we wrestle against our flesh, the world, and the devil. So the flesh of David Pinckney wants to do bad things. Just ask my wife. She's been keeping track for 35 years. No, she's not. No, she does not keep track. Um, I, we fight against the world. Like, there are all sorts of currents in our culture that draw us to dark places. And we fight against an unseen foe called the devil. And we don't, we don't see him, but we know he's at work. And then if you become part of the church, which you ought to do, like it's be, it basically it's like being committed to what Jesus is doing here in Wellspring, you're going to find out that like every church, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And so the Lord calls the church to love and be patient and caring. All that to say, like following Jesus can be hard. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 40. If you have your Bible, uh, I urge you to turn to it. If you don't... Um, urge you to get one. It's easy to look up online. Um, and we're going to look at Isaiah 40 and just walk through this chapter as we deal with what does it look like for God to, to comfort the called? Or the big thought would be, Jesus meets our weakness with his strength. So as we look at this, we're going to see five things along this journey that as Jesus meets us um, in our weakness, we find that he's, his strength is sufficient. So, as we look at the text, we're going to start reading in chapter 1. And by the way, Isaiah 40, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible has two big parts, Old Testament, New Testament. And in the middle of it, Isaiah, this prophet, uh, who uh, was predicting that Israel would fall and be taken over by the Babylonians, he had a kind of a hard task. But he was also, so if the first half of, of uh, 
Isaiah is kind of all these warning messages, like they're the heavy messages. But things change in chapter 40 with this whole theme of comfort. So that's where we pick it up today. And the first thing I want to look at is verses 1 and 2, this message of comfort, which is the message of the church today, a message of comfort. Look at, I think these verses will be up on the screen. Let's see, let's get to, uh, maybe they won't. Oh, there we are. So this is the way it starts. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Next slide. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, at the heart of Christianity is this message we call the gospel, the good news, the best news we could ever hear. In the Old Testament here, in Isaiah 40, it's actually painted in this way. It's a message of comfort. Or, and and if, if we start with that and we think, well, how does it comfort us? Well, uh, the beginning of it, look at right there, it says, a voice crying, prepare away. No, 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 we need to go back. We go back, go back, go back. Yeah, yeah, speak tenderly. It's a tender message, okay? Like, Jesus comes to you with this tender message. Often we think of God as being mad, and he was, and he took out his anger on Jesus. Jesus took the wrath of God. But he comes to us with this tender message and saying, hey, trust me, follow me. It's not just a tender message, but in this message, it's a message of deliverance. He says there, your time of hard service is over. Now, the people who first heard this or read it, they would immediately think back to uh, their story of their, their nation's deliverance, Israel, because they had been slaves in Israel for like 400 years. And that's a picture of being enslaved to us in a world that we have no hope. And, and we can grapple to try to deal with it, and, and, but Jesus comes along and delivers us. So the, the story of the Old Testament of Moses delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt is a, is a kind of a precursor or a picture of how God delivers us from the slavery of our self-attempts for righteousness. And one of the things we try to do is like, and I've been, I've been it's just common for people to think, well, if I die and there's a God, I'm better than most people in Berkeley Springs. Like, God's got to let me in because I'm not as bad as fill in the blank, right? So there's this idea that maybe my good, good deeds will get me into God's good graces, but then you slip up, you get mad with your spouse, you, you, you cheat on your taxes, you, you know, there's all sorts of things, and then you say, well, I've got to work harder. Like, I've got to, like, make up for that. But the gospel is a big difference, because the gospel is Jesus has come and paid for all my guilt from yesterday, today, and next week. It's all paid for. And so the part of the joy of the Christian faith is that we've been delivered. We've been set free, that Christ has come and delivered us out of that slavery, kind of like Moses leading the children of Israel out of, out of bondage. We no longer have to work for God's favor. It's been given to us freely. It goes on. This message of, of comfort is a message of forgiveness. You see what it says there? Her iniquity has been pardoned. Or in one translation, sin has been paid for. Forgiveness. We have a mortgage on our house, and it'd be really nice if someone would come along and pay off my mortgage. It would take off this huge debt, you know, this monthly obligation. Well, far more than a mortgage or a car payment or credit card debt or student loans, Jesus has come and paid off our sin debt. This is the, this is the message of comfort. 
the message of it's a tender message it's a message of deliverance it's a message of full forgiveness and it's a message of a blessing the last line there says and she she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins now that does not make sense like for my sins god blesses me doubly someone could ask well therefore I should go sin more so god blesses me no that's not how this works because we don't, need, we don't need any help or motivation to sin. But what we need is a promise that regardless of how I wrestle with sin and try to overcome addictions or, or try to deal with my stage of life, like I'm going to be 60 this year and I'm like wrestling with this new stage of life I'm entering into. Our, 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 our last child finally moved out on Friday. After 33 years, we finally are empty nesters. But like it's a new season for Sharon and I. But, and, and then, you know, we've got that last season where you're facing death. Like, in this story, the scripture says, we continue to struggle with sin all through life. There's no, you don't, like, arrive. I know Pastor Ricky's a nice guy, but he's not perfect. He struggles with sin. But God says, listen, you feel like you, feel like you should get paid for your sin like punishment. Jesus has taken punishment. And though you are a sinner, because you're a child of God, you receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus, you receive double blessing for all your sins. That's crazy. But that's the message of the gospel. We call this good news. It's called, the word gospel means good news. Doesn't it sound like good news? This message from God, a message of comfort, a message of deliverance, a message that's tender, a message of, of uh, full forgiveness, a message of double blessing. That's the message. All right, that's the first two verses of chapter 40. But now we've got this difficult work because if we believe that message, we have an obligation to share that message. Verses 3 through 5. So let's see. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Next, next slide. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord will appear in all humanity. Together we'll see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, in the New Testament, right before Jesus came, there was, like old, uh, there was uh, sorry, not old guy, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And this, these verses actually were used of him that he was preparing the way for Jesus. But you and I have the same obligation because part of the work of, of receiving the message, the good message uh, of verses 1 and 2, is now we have this difficult work of preparing the way for the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we could look at this internally or we could look at it externally. Um, up in New Hampshire, there are old rail trails where old railroads used to run. Prior to the Civil War, and the primary means of transportation in the Northeast were, were these little rail systems that would go out to the villages. So there were trains that went all out. But you know, nobody remembers the people who built those uh, tracks, but those tracks, they had to bring up low places and, and, and lower high places because the trains they couldn't, you know, they, they weren't like dirt bikes. They could handle hills very well, or four-wheelers. They had to have the way pretty straight. Well, there's, a, there's sort of an analogy there of like, as the gospel is working out into the community here, Berkeley Springs, or where I live in Concord, New Hampshire, 
Uh, there's a lot of deep trenches of people's unbelief and high obstacles for them to believe what, what we believe. On top of that, in my own soul, it, it, it's sometimes hard in my own soul to believe all the good news of Jesus, that he can set me free from every sin, that I can love those people in my life that I can't stand in my flesh. Like all those dark holes or those high obstacles... So part of the work of the gospel is preparing the way of the Lord to work. Now, Jesus could show up in Berkeley Springs today. He could just do it himself. But he's invited his people into this work of preparing the way for his gospel to work. So what that looks like is you sit down with your lost, lost loved ones who don't know Jesus, your friends, your co-workers, people in your neighborhood, and you want them to know the good news, this message of comfort. But it's hard work because they have these deep trenches of doubt or these high mountains of obstacles and part of our, jo- our job is to help them fill in those holes or tear down those obstacles as we share them and, and listen to them and, and try to help them understand. And we want them to see the good message that we believe. But this is hard work. It's hard work because they reject you. They don't doubt. You know, they've had bad experiences with the church. or they All sorts of obstacles. And so this hard work is... The same work that that John the Baptist had. We say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, turn to the one who can bring this message of comfort home to you. As we think about this hard work, it also, there's another problem here. Because it's not just hard work to prepare the way of the Lord and like, trying to get people to believe, or even our own hearts to believe. So it's not just hard work, but who are we? We are, we have a weak condition. The very next verses, verses 6 through 8, start with a voice crying out. Let's see, wait a minute, no, that's not right. Yeah. A voice was crying, saying, crying out. Another said, what should we cry out? Now this is, this is part of the, the difficulty of the message. All humanity is grass, and all his goodness is like the flower of the field. Next slide. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, what's that line? People are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. The one thing about the Bible is it's got these sort of teachings that seem to be opposed. Like the Bible says, you matter so much to God. He wants to adopt you into his family and have you one of you. He wants you to be his daughter. He wants you to be his son. He wants to be your father. He wants to take you to paradise. He's going to make all things new. The whole earth is going to be renewed. And then, then Jesus says, do not fear, little flock. It is my father's intention to give you his kingdom. So that's one message. The other message is, yeah, but your life is really just grass. Well, which one is true? Well, in the, in the grand sc- scope of things, in one sense, like, can I bring the gospel to Concord? And can I bring people to Jesus? And can I like, like fight my own doubts, those dark holes in my life or those obstacles? Can I, can I do any of that? Well, on my own, we are weak. We are like grass. We are unable. Because our lives really are, are here and gone. Uh, I, actually, I was preaching this message about back in March in a, a small church plant in, in um, Upper Manhattan, New York City. And my wife and I had got there the day before, and we walked through Central Park, and there are statues to these people, and every, 
every uh, bench, in, in, it seems, in Central Park has a plaque of memorial to somebody. Do you know that all those people who lived, most of their memory is an engraved plaque or an impressive statue? But most of us, even when we look at that impressive statue and read the name, we go, don't know who they are. Because man, mankind is like grass. You see, we're in this weak condition where God has called us into his family to share his gospel, be part of his work, but at the end of the day, we kind of go, yeah, but I'm like, I'm like frail flowers that are here in the spring, but by, you know, the, the daffodils and tulips are just coming up in New Hampshire. We're a little further north than you, I think. Just coming up in New Hampshire, and they're going to be gone in a month. Gone. That is the comparison of your life and my life. In one sense. Now remember, we've got this this incredible message of comfort. We, we have this hard work of preparing the way of the Lord by sharing that good message. And we are super weak. And if it, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would have no hope. David Crowder, he's a Christian artist, a musician. Um, he made popular an old gospel song. My, I have a niece who lives down in um, Staunton, Virginia, and she's in a band, and she sang this, band, this, this old gospel song, All Our Hope is in Jesus. I just want to share with you a few lines. And there's a kind of thing that just breaks a man, breaks him down to his knees. God, I've been broken more than, um, more than a time or two. Yes, Lord. Then he picked me up and showed me what it means to be a man. Come on and sing, all my hope is in Jesus. So if we are working through this passage, we, we get to the point where we're going like, okay, we have this incredible message of comfort. Comfort and comfort my people, a tender message, a message of deliverance, a message of forgiveness, a, pe- a message of double blessing for all my sin. But then we've got this hard preparation work to like allow, allow the gospel to change my own heart. And how do I share this with people who have all these deep, deep gullies and these high obstacles, these mountains. How do I prepare the way for the Lord by sharing the gospel? And then it seems to be worse because like, I am weak. I'm like a flower. I'm like a a blade of grass. Ah, but all our hope is in Jesus. And as we follow this chapter, it makes this huge pivot. And we're going to read this. Now, what I'm going to do is read like a bunch of verses because the bunch of verses are all about the greatness of, of Jesus, the greatness of God. Because I can get depressed going, oh, i got a great message. Oh, the work is hard, and I am so weak. But look at verse 9. We're going to read 9 through 26, so this is quite a, uh, a chunk. But all I want you to do when I read this is allow your imagination to, to, to be stirred by what is read about God. Okay? So verse 9. Zion, herald of good news, go up on the high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah. Okay, this is the message. Here is your God. Now it's going to unpack who is this God. Because remember, we've got this incredible message. But the work is hard, and we're incredible weak. But here is our God. Let's, Let's read. See, the Lord God comes with strength. And his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. 
He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked out off the heavens with the span of his hands? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on a scale? You get a picture of God like he's got the, all the water of the earth in one palm and he sort of mark, mapped out the heavens with his hands. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who, who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the ways of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for burnt offerings. Now there's some imagery going on there that we don't have time to get into, but the thing I want you to picture is, like, I think there's 211 nations in the world, and, and if you take all those nations with the 8 billion people, to God, he says, they're like a drop in the bucket. That's, that's, this is the greatness of our God. This is the God that's on our side. Let's continue to read. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for a comparison with him? Let's keep going. Let's see. Oh, no, wait a minute. Tell you what, the rest of the verses aren't up there. I'm going to read them. Uh, That ended at verse 18. I'm going to read verses 19 and following. Actually, I probably am not. Yeah, I will. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you then liken him? And it talks about an and idols. So this, is, this gets into idolatry, which is like, I don't know how, what that says to you in Wellspring, but like when people carve things like concepts, a car, a dream house, a dream kitchen, a dream marriage, they make that their life. They carve something out of, that becomes the thing they think will satisfy them. This is, this is uh, the picture of an idol. As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver and chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that, that will not rot. They, take, they look at the skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you, have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, the one that is this God that we're talking about, He's enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretched out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, you, cre- you who created all, all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of those stars is missing. Now, that's a long testimony to the question or to the statement, here is your God. 
Last night, we were sitting up with uh, Ricky and Audrey up on their hillside. You ought to sign up and go to that music meal thing, like, just because it's worth being there. And what a gr- so we sat there, and the fire was burning down, and the stars were coming out, and suddenly the moon came up across the, the, uh, the mountain peak there. But beyond those stars, now that we have satellites out there like the Hubble, I mean, we see billions of satellites with each with billions of stars, and God says, I put them out there, and not one of them's missing. Like, this is our God. So if, if the job of preparing the way of the Lord with this message of comfort was relying upon people whose lives are like grass and flowers, we would be hopeless. But that's not the case. Here is our God. Here is who we, we are partner with. He's our Father. He's invited us into His work. So to become a Christian is to join Jesus in His work of sharing this good news that He's going to make all things new. He's come to not just declare what's coming, but to pay our way there. His death on the cross satisfied God's anger towards me because I've committed billions of sins in my life, probably, you know, sins I don't even know about. The scripture says we can't keep count of them. Christ has paid for them all. I've been set free. I receive a double blessing for all my sins. That's crazy. Yeah, but man, it's hard sharing the gospel. Like my lost friends, they're like, I got atheist friends and Wiccan friends and a friend who's a communist who drives a BMW, which doesn't make sense. If you're a communist, you should be driving cheap cars. But anyway, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I love them. I love them. But like the, the obstacles to get them to believe in Jesus seem too high. The holes seem too low. And I feel so weak. But here is our God. And that who's partnered with us to take our lives of meaninglessness and give us meaning. One thing you'll learn if you take that membership class is every member is on mission. The mission in Berkeley Springs isn't the job of a pastor or deacons or community group leaders. It's the job of every member. God calls you into this world to be light. And there's two great stories. And this is a side note. Um, this is one of those rabbit trails, Ricky, that you warned me about. But here we go. Um, like two of the best evangelists in the New Testament were a, a, a very immoral woman who had been married five times, was living with a sixth man in a, in a town like Berkeley Springs, and everybody knew her, nobody liked her. Jesus comes to her, she becomes a believer in Jesus, and she immediately goes into the, back into her town and says, you need to come meet this Jesus who knows everything about me. That was an example of, an, what, was her, what was her training? She just knew what Jesus did for her. Another guy who'd been possessed by many demons. We call him a demoniac. That's kind of a hipster name for a guy that's really messed up. And, and Jesus cast out the demons. And this guy wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus says, listen, I want you to go back into your town. And I want you to tell the people there what God has done for you. If you've met Jesus, you're on mission. You have this incredible message of comfort. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, you are weak. But here is your God. And he, if, if God is for us, like this God who spoke the universe into existence before breakfast one day, he is with you. He knows you. If he knows the stars, he knows his children. 
So this, this chapter ends with an invitation to trust him. To trust him with the message of comfort that he's given to you in a hard task of preparing the way for the Lord. Though you are weak, because he is God, this is what he says in verses, an invitation to trust him, verses 27 through 31. Uh, what, oh. Jacob, why do you say in Israel, why do, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? I'm going to stop right there. Don't, don't go ahead. There's two names there, Jacob and Israel. Same guy. God changed his name. It's interesting that as we make this shift to what, what um, God has called us to do to trust him, he calls out Jacob, which uh, actually means deceiver. He was, he was, a, he was a messed up guy. God called him to himself and changed his name to Israel, which can mean you wrestle with God or um, that God perseveres. Anyway, this idea that God calls all of you, your past and your future, your lost self and your new self in Christ, he calls all of that into the mission. Now, what is, they, what is Jacob's, what is the complaint? Well, God, you don't know me. I live in Berkeley Springs. You, know, you may know people in important places, or you may know the pastor, or you may know uh, David, but you don't know me. That's what Jacob, Israel, is saying. My ways are hidden from you. Like, you don't know me. I in fact, one translation says, my God has disregarded me. Let's go on. Do you not know? This is a question. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the, the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. In other words, like I have five kids, and we have this story that once we left one behind, it was kind of, we didn't tell people for three years because we were so embarrassed. We left him in his cradle at home as we drove off on vacation. Yeah, dumb. God doesn't forget his children. We went back and got him, by the way. He's okay. We got him through therapy. Um, <laughs> he, he, he never becomes weary or faint. There's no limit to his understanding. Let's read on. He gives strength to the faint. Oh, like I'm weak. I can't do this hard work of sharing this message of comfort because I'm like a flower. I'm like a, a blade of grass. He gives strength to, to the faint. Uh, he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youth may become, become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Jesus is inviting you this morning to trust him to work through you. And you say, God, how can you remember me? And he says, I'm God. Remember? Here is your God. I know the stars. I certainly know you. Put your hope or it says, um, yeah. Well, in one translation, uh, verse 31 says, but put your hope in the Lord. But those who put their hope in the Lord will renew their strength. What does that look like? Well, we are prone to distrust the Lord, right? Like when problems come, rather than pray, we worry. When problems come, rather than, wor uh, rather than pray and ask Jesus to help, we try to fix it by going to the, uh, you know, the, the bank for a loan to cover our trouble or we turn to the bottle or we turn to all sorts of things or we just try to numb up by, by watching a, another Netflix series just so we don't have to deal with the problem but the, the invitation here is no come to him there's a picture of an eagle 
uh, up at where we live, bald eagles are making a comeback. And uh, as you know, if you know anything about eagles, they, they often ride the thermals, the thermals which lift them up. There's a perfect picture of what Jesus does when we trust him and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And there's this small effort on an eagle and suddenly he's soaring. Beautiful picture. We trust in his unlimited power, which is seen in his creation. One of the reasons people feel so close to God in creation is because God made it to declare his power, his beauty, his, 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 his wonder. So when you get out in nature and you feel like this weird sense of wonder, that's you're supposed to. And it's a reminder that the God who made flowers that nobody else would see, made for his pleasure, is he, he is your God. We can trust him with his understanding. Understanding we can't fathom. I mean, I've got five kids and I left one behind once. Like, God doesn't leave any of his kids behind. I can't understand that. How he can hear the prayers of his children all over the world. Part of my role with Acts 29 is to promote rural church planting. Planting churches in places like Berkeley Springs. But it's not just in the U.S. I've been, like a month ago, I was in um, uh, Belgium and visiting an Acts 29 church plant in a small town called Langemark. And there were like 26 believers, members of this church. And, and, and Jesus is at work there. And, and part of this is that Jesus loves the people in Langemark as much as he does in Berkeley Springs. Back in August, I was down at this little village in the mountains of Os, um, Guatemala, Los Chilitos, and, and, and God is saving people there. And he cares about the people. And he doesn't have a problem handling everybody's needs we can trust his generous supply he loves to give he gives it says here in the text he gives strength to the weak one word definition of love for God so loved the world he gave so like this is my marriage counseling session right now you love your spouse give to them what they need okay marriage session over but like that, that's that's uh, whoops, there, what I do there. Uh, that is what love is. It's it's giving. Your neighbor who's lost, you give them attention, you give them care, you pray for them, you give them a, a concern, or you give them forgiveness. They may be an, pardon the English, but they may be an idiot for a neighbor, and your job is to forgive them and love for them and pray for them, pray for those who mistreat you. Yeah, that's like crazy talk, right? Well, God uses that. That's part of the preparing the way of the Lord. He gives us what we need as we stretch out and trust him. He gives us strength. One, so I'm also the regional director for the Northeast uh, for Acts 29. So that includes the six New England states, New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. On January 1st, a new church was planted and started in a small town called Townsend, Mass. It's about an hour and a half outside of Boston, uh, right on the Massachusetts-New Hampshire border. Jeff Willett is the pastor and I got to visit on their first Sunday. And he tells this great story of like his dream car, I get to see if I get this right, is a 1969 Camaro SS. Big block, lots of power. And he, and he, he used that illustration to talk a little bit about the Christian faith because like when you get into a 1969 Camaro SS, all the power you have is to push the accelerator. That's all you do. The engine produces the revs that drive the transmission that shoot the rocket the car forward. That's sort of like what we do as Christians. 
we trust Jesus, we, do, we, we make a little effort, like we show up to church, we go to community group, we open our Bible every day, we, we try to walk with Jesus, and as we do, God's power kicks in. That is the power that, again, is an illustration of that eagle. You may feel very weak today, and that's okay. We all are. The Bible here says that we're like flowers that are here just for the month of May. That's okay. This message, I hope it, most of you believe, but if you don't, this is the message of the gospel. God comes to you with a tender message, and he's inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to give, you, give him your sins. He, give him, yeah, that's like forgiveness. He, he's inviting you to trust him to deliver you from the bondage that you've been a part of. He's inviting you to this unbelievable message that you will receive double blessing for all your sins. But he's inviting you to, to, to allow him to transform your life so you can join in the hard work of preparing the way of the Lord to enter other people's lives, other apartments, other homes, other families, other lonely people who need this message. He's asking you to, to be a part of that. And honestly, like you and me, like me, uh, you, you just admit, like, we are weak. I'm not up to the task. But here is your God. So if we trust him, and this is the, the last part of this, if we trust him, we will mount up with, he will, he will do more than we can imagine. And we will be amazed, kind of like look at, watching an eagle soaring up there, like, wow, look what God is doing. I want to make this very practical at the end here. Because Jesus meets us in our weakness with his strength. Now, how, how, how would I recommend you do this? I don't know if you have a regular Bible rhythm of reading or whatever, but I'd encourage you to take these five thoughts from Isaiah 40 and study one of them each day of the week this week, okay? So on Monday, just read verses 1 and 2 and read about this incredible message of comfort. And if you're a believer, just rest and bathe in it. If you're not, ask yourself, can I believe this message that Jesus has come to forgive my sins, give me double for all my sins, Deliver me from what I'm ensnared to. Um, can I believe that tender message? So that's Monday. Tuesday, read uh, verses, what is that, 33 through, um, three through 5 on, on Tuesday. Read 3 through 5. That, that you are called to, to prepare the way of the Lord and meditate on that and say, Lord, where do you want, what holes in my world do, like in my own life do I need to fill what obstacles do I have that I need you to help me tear down? But in the people's lives I'm working with, I'm, I want to share this incredible message. Help, you know, what, what holes do I need to fill in and prepare the way for you to work? What, what obstacles do I need to help people tear down? So, and then on, on Wednesday, meditate on your weakness. It's okay to be honest that we can't do this. Verses 6 through 8. It's okay to realize... I'm not up to the task. Then on Thursday, you'll need some extra time because it's verses 9 through 26. And just dwell on, but here is your God. The God that's with you and for you, working in you. And on Friday, end on the theme, okay, Lord, you're inviting me to trust you. Where are there areas I need to just reach out and and, and trust you like an eagle spreading its wings and let you do the work, like putting on the accelerator. Do I need to, like, be a part of a community group? Do I need to, like, uh, sh be more devoted to church? Do I need to consider being church membership? Maybe I need to give my life to Jesus. I really never have. Gone to church, 
I don't know if you've heard, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It doesn't work that way, all right? Uh, going to a car, does, going to a garage doesn't make you a, a car. Going to a church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to, at some point, come to a place where you trust Jesus, believe in him, and repent, turn from your self-reliant sin and guilt. Well, that's the best I got for you this morning. I think this is a good news. This is a good message. God has come to you with this tender message. It's hard work to share that message, even in our own souls, but especially in our neighborhoods. And we are weak, but our God is strong. And so he's asked, inviting us to trust him, that he would use us and, and, and lead us to, to be people of the gospel. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this text. It, it refreshes me just to ponder the thought that I feel so weak at times. it's hard for me, Lord, to to prepare the way for you to work in in the lives of my friends who are lost. And it seems hard, long work, but Lord, you are at work even though we are weak. Lord, we are talking to you right now in prayer, trusting that you would help us, empower us to be people of faith that trust you to use us in our community. And we be people who speak the gospel that changes. We get to admit we're weak. But we know, Lord, you're with us. We get to point to this almighty God who sent Christ. That made all the difference in the world. Help my sisters and brothers to to trust you more. Help those in this room who have yet to believe, to believe in you, to become Christians, to to invite you into their souls and and forgive their sins and be their Lord and and change the the trajectory of their lives. Lord, in all these things, we pray for you to be glorified. In Christ's name, amen.